True Green is the easiest and most affordable way to get a beautiful lawn. All you have to do is water and mow and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, among others. They'll do all of that so you can do literally anything else. You have better things to do with your free time than focus on your lawn care. Let True Green take care of all the hard work it takes to get a great lawn while you take care of everything else on your to-do list. You can trust True Green to give you the best lawn because they are the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. They offer a satisfaction guarantee and they have a verified best price promise, which gives you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. Think about how hard it is to manage our fantasy baseball teams. You need all the time you can get to put in waiver wire claims, fab bids, send out trades, and set your lineups. You'll have that extra time when True Green is taking care of your lawn. You do you, let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people, guaranteed. Welcome to the Fantasy Baseball Today podcast from CBS Sports. Got a fantasy question? Email fantasybaseball at cbsi.com. Get ready to win your league. Where Here's Frank, Scott, Chris, and Adam. What's going on, everybody? And welcome into Fantasy Baseball today on Wednesday, June 9th. I am Frank Stanfield, joined by Chris Towers. Another well-deserved day off for Scotty Dubs, Scott White. But don't worry. We got you, baby. Today on the show, we are going to attempt to fix Aranola. What is going on there? We're going to rank some mid-tier starting pitchers who had great performances, some waiver wire ads, your fantasy justice questions, and we're going to play you Garrett Cole's audio when he was asked if he has ever used spider tech, which is one of these foreign substances that we continuously talk about. It was bad. (laughs) I don't know how he didn't realize that question was coming, that somebody was going to ask him about it, but it was very bad. Chris, can you remember a time in life when you were that flustered in a public forum? Yeah, pretty much any time I had to speak publicly uh, in high school or college. I know I come off as such a, um, a a bright and outgoing person who's you know, extremely erudite and says good word things all the time uh, in this context. But boy, let me tell you, put me in front of seven people in like a ancient Greek history class and have me ask me to speak. And I sound exactly like I do right now. <laughs> Well, what if I told you there were 67 people watching us on YouTube right now? Would that make you feel better? Uh, uh, no, it reminded me of... Uh, <laughs> you haven't seen Big Lebowski, have you? You've never seen any movies. I haven't seen anything, yeah. There's a there's a scene with John Goodman. It reminded me of a scene in The Big Lebowski where John, would, would, John Goodman is talking about a, a marmot. And it, it's the same energy as that. Just like kind of three word sentences followed by a pivot to a completely different sentence, that kind of thing. So I very much enjoyed watching it. We will get to it, man. That uh, it was, again, it was, it was quite bad for, for Garrett Cole, not a good look for him and really not a great look for, uh, I guess. The, <laughs> it, it, the Yankees. It's extremely like my, I don't know how to answer that question. T-shirt is garnering a lot of questions already answered by my T-shirt energy. It, it was kind of that, that yeah. kind of thing. Yeah, it was like in a, the most obvious admission admission without actually admitting what you did wrong. Oh my good, goodness gracious. All right, let's start off with some standouts from Tuesday. Chris, where would you like to start? Let's start with, I should have, yeah, Robert Glenn Ray. Robbie Ray, t- uh, Toronto Blue Jays starting pitcher. We talked about him a little yesterday. He continued to do what he has been doing pretty much all season. And that's kind of throw the ball right down the middle of the strike zone. And he was once again excellent. 13 strikeouts and six and a third innings give up one run on a solo home run to the White Sox. I was off and that was by Andrew Vaughn. Uh, 102 pitches, 21 swinging strikes. He's been absolutely awesome so far this season. And it really is incredible. You look at, uh, you know, his illustrator on baseball savant the game feed and it's it's an overstatement to say that it's all down the middle because he's got a ton of sliders low and in to right-handed hitters the fastball is just all in the strike zone now like it really it, it's incredible he, he threw uh 
was this 40 strikeout for 51 fastballs. And it looks like maybe nine, 10 of them aren't in the strike zone or at least on the corner of the strike zone. Um, he's become a completely different pitcher. And as I mentioned yesterday, it's just by throwing it down the middle and letting the stuff take over. And it's been a really effective strategy for him. And like we will talk about with Framber Valdez coming up very shortly, I guess it doesn't matter all that much. Like, it, of course, if you're allowing hard contact, it's not optimal. But I, yeah. I think when you're allowing that hard contact into the ground, it does help a little bit more. I mean, the way that analytics have played into things and the way that teams are shifting as efficiently as they are nowadays, obviously that helps a ton when people are hitting the ball hard into the ground. And for Robbie Ray, while it's not one of the highest ground ball rates in in baseball, like Framber Valdez, 45% for Robbie Ray this season represents yeah. a career high, which is very good for him. So you couple that with he's getting as many strikeouts as he has 11.5K per nine, 2.10 walks per nine. That is also a career best number for him. That has never been lower than 3.5 walks per nine. Like we said yesterday, this is the best version of Robbie Ray that we have seen. And he he's is in the 84th percentile in walk rate. He is it's great like legitimately good at avoid. Like he has a significantly lower walk rate than Shane Bieber right now. And the other thing on the batted ball side, he's only giving up, you know, per baseball savant, 22.9% line drive rate. And so his fly ball rates about where it was last season, the ground ball rates up. And so what that means is that he's giving up a lot fewer of the type of batted balls you want to avoid. You know, you get hit hard, you give up fly balls, those will turn into home runs eventually. You know, a decent amount of them. I would guess he has a pretty high home run to fly ball ratio. But they also, when they don't turn into home runs, often turn into outs. And that's the same thing with ground balls. Ground balls usually turn into outs. It's line drives that really kill you. And so if you can keep runners off the base with free passes and you can strike, you know, 30% of the batters you face out, you'll live with the occasional solo home run. I don't think he's going to continue to be you know, he's been one of the best pitchers in baseball, really, over his last, I don't know, eight or nine starts. I don't think he'll continue to be that, but I do think Robbie Ray's a must-start pitcher right now. Yeah, I'm with you there. And let's make this an, oh my goodness, trifecta, because I mentioned we wanted to talk about mid-tier starting pitchers that had great starts. Robbie Ray is obviously one of those. The other two, Framber Valdez at the Boston Red Sox on Tuesday night, seven and one-third innings, five hits, one earned, zero walks, eight strikeouts, 18 swinging strikes on 96 pitches for Framber Valdez. Nine of those came on the curve, which is his best pitch. He now has a 1.47 ERA through his first three starts, which came against the Padres and the Red Sox twice. So pretty tough matchups there, and he has succeeded. He has a 76% ground ball rate with 22 strikeouts, only four walks on the season. That is Framber Valdez and Pablo Lopez, who going up against the Colorado Rockies, they were on the road. It was in Marlins Park. Eight innings, five hits, two runs, zero walks, eight strikeouts for Pablo Lopez. And over his last five starts, 2.32 ERA, 33 strikeouts, over 31 innings pitched. And he's using his breaking pitches more. And that was something that yeah, I liked Pablo Lopez quite a bit coming into the year. Scott kind of pushed back on it because he said, Pablo Lopez always talks about using his breaking pitches more, but he doesn't actually do it. Well, now he's throwing four different pitches over 10 plus percent of the time. So that includes his curveball, his cutter, his changeup, which is his best pitch. And then he has a, a decent fastball that he throws, you know, 93, 94 miles per hour. Yeah. But I think it's a very good arsenal that Pablo Lopez has. So, Chris, how would you rank those three starting pitchers following their awesome starts on Tuesday? Valdez, Lopez, and Robbie Ray. Yeah, you look at what Lopez has done. He's allowed zero earned runs in... Uh, was it now six starts? He didn't allow any runs today, right? He allowed two. Two earned runs. Okay, so he's allowed zero earned runs in six of his 12, uh, five of his 12 starts. No, sorry. Five of his 13 starts. He's allowed two or fewer earned runs in 11 of his 13 starts. He's basically had two bad starts, and I feel like that's kind of been uh, Pablo Lopez's issue. He'll have like, Last year, it was seven earned runs in one and two-thirds inning against the Braves. Other than that, he you know, had a sub-three ERA. Uh, he had, God, I want to say there was a start where he gave up 10 runs in, in less than an inning or maybe one inning against the Mets in 2019. Other than that, he had like a 3-5 ERA. So, you know, that, that starts coming at some <laughs> point. 
you know, that, that, that seems like kind of unavoidable, unavoidable for him, but he's making them few and far enough between that. I do have him at the top of this group. I've got Lopez 22nd at starting pitcher. And I did have him higher than Robbie Ray and Framber Valdez coming into the season, even before Framber's injury. So for me, it's Lopez, a little gap, Robbie Ray at 28, Framber at 31. So all of them, I think must start pitchers right now. All of them, you know, top 35, top 36 starting pitchers. But I do trust Lopez a little more. I guess Fromber has been about as good as him over the last two seasons. It's just fewer strikeouts, I guess, is the biggest thing between the two of them. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't, it hasn't been the case so far this year, right? For Fromber yeah. Valdez, he's getting as many strikeouts as he is, limiting walks and doing it while getting a ton of ground balls. Now, he did allow a ton of hard hits on Tuesday, but again, a 76, that is a lot. That's a big number too. But a 76% ground ball rate, that's going to help mitigate a lot of the damage there for for Valdez. So I put up a poll actually on Tuesday night asking where should Valdez rank rest of season in terms of starting pitchers? Top 20, top 30, top 40, outside the top 40. Which one do you think won, Chris? I'm going to say top 30. Yeah, top 30, 49%. But actually, second place, top 20 starting pitcher, 38% of the vote. So I'm not ready to do that. I think I need to see a little bit more from Valdez. But I actually rank him first of this group. It might be aggressive. I moved him up to SP28. I have Lopez at SP30. And I have Robbie Ray just behind at SP33. There's still a sliver, a sliver of doubt when it comes to Robbie Ray, though. Oh, no, I, I totally get it. Yeah. Um. I mean, he's definitely been the worst of this group over the last three seasons at his worst. And his best hasn't been appreciably better than the other two guys' best. I'm not sure it really has been better. Um, but, you know, when I say Framber Valdez is 32, I really look at my rankings and, like, I think starting with Joe Musgrove at 17 and really through Valdez at, at 32. I've got Sonny Gray at 33, Kent Maeda at 34, Jesus Lazardo at 35. Those guys are very iffy. And so I, I think there is a gap after those guys. I think any of those 15 pitchers, you could put in any order. And some of them have, you know, a little like Carlos Rodon, I think has a little higher upside than some of the other guys in there. But I feel like there's, there's not much separating that group as a whole between, you know, injury risk for some guys, performance risk for others, lack of upside for others. They're not all the same type of pitcher but I value them very, very similarly, even though there's a relatively big gap between them. Look at you, Chris, man. You come so far since high school public speaking because I thought that was very well said. And maybe Garrett Cole can actually... My my hands are shaking. (laughs) Maybe Garrett Cole could actually take a little bit of uh, some notes here uh, from Chris Towers because he was asked if... He has ever used spider tech. Again, one of these foreign substances that pitchers are accused of using. And this audio comes from at SNY videos on Twitter. Here is what he had to say. And have you ever used spider tech while pitching? Um, I don't. Today. I don't know. <laughs> I, I don't know if. Uh, I don't know quite. I don't quite know how to answer that, to be honest. Um I mean, there are customs and practices that have been passed down from older players to younger players, from the last generation of players to this generation of players. And, um, you know, I I think uh, I think Mm -hmm. there are some things that are certainly out of bounds in that regard. Mm -hmm. And and, Mm -hmm. uh, I've stood pretty Mm -hmm. stood pretty firm in in terms of that. Mm -hmm. uh, in mm-hmm. terms of the communication between our peers and whatnot, um, mm-hmm. you know, and and I again, mm-hmm. like I mentioned mm-hmm. earlier, there's, mm-hmm. you know, this is important to a lot of people that love the game, and this is mm-hmm. including including the players in this room, including fans, including you know teams, and mm-hmm. so if MLB wants to you know legislate some more stuff, that's a conversation that we can have uh, mm-hmm. because ultimately mm-hmm. we should all be pulling in the same direction on this. Mm-hmm. So it is. That was a minute and 16 seconds, Chris, where maybe 22 words. He said nothing. He said absolutely (laughs) nothing. The guy should be a politician. It was embarrassing. In in conclusion, in conclusion, 
Spider Tech is a land of contrasts. <laughs> yeah, if, if you're watching on YouTube, I, I've, I've posted, uh, shared my screen of uh, the the Amazon page for Spider Tech, and it is a guy with a cinder block, and he's got Spider Tech on his palm, and he just put his palm down on a cinder block and just lifted it up. That's how strong this stuff is. Look, man, it's p- public speaking's hard. Someone pointed out on Twitter and, and I hadn't thought about this, but like this whole thing, literally this whole thing is happening because Trevor Bauer didn't like Garrett Cole when they went to UCLA together. And he decided to publicly accuse Garrett Cole and the Astros of doing this. And that's pretty much how this whole conversation started in terms of the mainstream baseball uh, discourse. So I do find that kind of funny. That it, it kind of just like, if it wasn't for the fact that those two dudes just don't like each other, this may have never happened. This whole conversation may have never happened. And then Trevor Bauer, the past couple of seasons, call it for what it is. If you can't beat him, join him because he has the highest spin rates in baseball over the past two seasons. By no means am I discount. You know, I'm not saying that Garrett Cole is not wrong. I, I mean, I think I'm saying actually quite the opposite. So he is, I, this was basically an admission of guilt. How did he not know someone was going to ask him this question? Did he, did he want to come this, off this way? This, I isn't don't, even, this isn't even on Garrett Cole. This is on Garrett Cole's agent and the Yankees PR staff for apparently never having this conversation with him. It's, it's just like, that is your job. And Garrett Cole pitches on Wednesday against the twins. So front and center, we're, everyone's going to be paying attention to baseball savant first pitch of the game, seeing what these spin rates look like. And rightfully so, because I don't know what's going on. Fastballs. Yeah, right. Just uh, throw 80 sliders in a start, just, I guess. Yeah, just throw sliders and change-ups. 80 sliders, 20 change-ups coming on Wednesday against the Minnesota Twins. And again, his Garrett Cole spin rate was down in his last start. It was the lowest it's been since 2018. Mind you, 2018 was the year he broke out with the Astros. So even if he just maintains that spin rate, mm-hmm. he should st- still be really, really good. So Overall, I'm not worried about this, but it obviously is a very big storyline in baseball and for fantasy baseball as well. Some news and notes from Tuesday. Trevor Story did not return as expected, but is still, quote, very close. Jack Flaherty is likely out for the rest of the first half of the season with that oblique injury, which means we likely won't see him until mid-July at the earliest. Yeah, I saw one person say, one one reporter say it might not be until August. Oosh. Yeah, I know... Yeah. Scott originally just kind of predicted that we don't see him again until the second half. So good job there from Scott. But man, August, that would be a pretty, pretty crushing, a crushing blow for when he was healthy. You know, one of the top 15 best starting pitchers in fantasy baseball. Uh, Sonny Gray was removed from Tuesday's start with groin tightness. He is set to undergo an MRI. Albert Alzali placed on the IL with a blister that he suffered in Monday's start. So after weeks and weeks of begging people to add Albert Alzali, this is how we're rewarded in a two-start week, so I'm sorry. Joey Gallo was removed with right groin tightness on Tuesday. We had a bunch of players return. Joey Votto was back and batting cleanup. J.D. Martinez returned to the lineup. He was dealing with a wrist. Uh, Brandon Belt was back and batting cleanup for the Giants. Michael Brantley also returned from the IL. We had some rehab news. Lance McCullers will make a rehab start on Thursday. Jeff McNeil could start a rehab assignment on Friday. Trent Grisham will begin a rehab assignment at AAA in the coming days. And Didi Gregorius could begin one by the end of this week. Other news. Corey Seager's broken right hand is healing quicker than he initially anticipated. And I saw the hope is that he can return by early July. So... There was an update last week which sounded like he was much closer than that, but I guess early July is what we're looking at right now for Corey Seager. <laughs> Zach Plesak will begin throwing this week. Remember, he's the guy who broke his hand, uh, broke, broke his thumb, rather, aggressively taking his shirt off. Danny Jansen went to the IL with a right hamstring strain, and a prospect, actually, for the Toronto Blue Jays, a catcher prospect, was called up. He was batting 250 with a 10-10 OPS in 19 games at AAA. Chris I would assume only in two catcher leagues, but anything to see here with Riley Adams? Yeah, I mean, if you've got a a pulse and you're a catcher eligible player in a two catcher league, we're going to take notice. Um, He has a 788 OPS in his minor league career, strikes out a decent amount, walks a decent amount. Uh, But so far in AAA this season, he had six homers in 19 games with a 10-10 OPS. So, you know, that's certainly eye-opening. 
yes, a name again to pay attention to there. Riley Adams, Jamer Candelario was placed on the bereavement list. Isak Paredes was recalled for the Tigers. And a few other prospect updates. Twins starting pitcher Matt Cantorino was diagnosed with right elbow inflammation after undergoing an MRI, which is quite unfortunate because he was dominating at high A ball. He was a name that... I brought up over the past month or so, I, I still really like him, but hope this isn't a, a long-term injury for Matt Cantorino. And Marlins pitching prospect Braxton Garrett has been recalled and is likely to start on Wednesday. He had a 3.28 ERA with a 1.22 whip through five starts at AAA. Not a highly regarded prospect, but a name to monitor. Yeah. Is Former first-round pick, I believe. Yeah, seventh overall pick in 2016. Former top 100 prospect. He's dealt with injuries, but... You know, does have a 3.44 ERA in his minor league career, so someone to watch. The email of the day. This one came from David. He says, "Is it crazy that Kevin Gosman is the number one starting pitcher? Like you said the other day, is he a great sell high at this point? What hitter can I get? I'm in a head-to-head points league, and my pitching is pretty good, being led by Tyler Glass now, Clayton Kershaw, and Kevin Gosman." Uh, as well as Domingo Herman, with Tony Gonsolin coming off the IL. So, Chris, I know you mentioned that if you can sell high on Gosman, just because he, we don't expect him to remain the number one starting pitcher. Can he pitch to being a top 15, top 20 starting pitcher rest of season? I think that's possible with the way that he is pitching right now. 1.27 ERA, 0.76 whip. Obviously, those numbers are not going to remain for the rest of the season. But yeah, like we say with every sell high, if you can actually sell high and get a legitimate player in return, I think it's something that you should look into doing. There's nothing wrong with trying. And a few early round hitters, Chris, that have disappointed to this point, if you can turn Kevin Gosman into any of these, I would try it. Freddie Freeman, Cody Bellinger, Bryce Harper, Manny Machado. I don't know how realistic it is, but I did see... They were doing these NFBC drafts recently where it was from June on, rest of season. It's, it's like a second chance draft. You play out the final four months of the season. And Kevin Gosman was a second round pick in one of the drafts that I saw. So somebody somewhere values him as a top 10, 15-ish starting pitcher. Do you think it's realistic to get any of Freeman, Bellinger, Harper, or Machado for him? Maybe. I mean, I... I got called out on Twitter for having Kevin Gosman too low, and I had Kevin Gosman too low. I had him 32nd. I moved him up to 20th. So I think it's entirely possible. Or 19th, actually. I think it's entirely possible he can be a top 20 starting pitcher for the rest of the season. I actually do expect it. I don't think he'll be a top five starting pitcher, probably not a top 10 starting pitcher. There's too many really good starting pitchers out there. But yeah, I think, like, yes, if I could get... Manny Machado, Bryce Harper, Cody Ballinger, Freddie Freeman, even Christian Yelich for him. I would do that because I think those guys will be more valuable moving forward. But that's not to say that I don't think Kevin Gosman will be good moving forward. And, you know, one one type of trade you might consider doing would be maybe moving him for a pitcher who I think is probably a downgrade, like Charlie Morton or Kyle Hendricks, but who I think will still be good, uh, who I only have a little bit below him, and see if you can get another hitter thrown in there who, who's you know hasn't been great but we expect better things from moving forward who that hitter might be I, I would have to come up with another I mean maybe like God, I wish Mike Moustakis was healthy because he'd be a really good answer for that um, you know how Kyle Tucker was basically our buy low for the whole beginning part of May I think Charlie Blackman has kind of taken over as like the universal sure. buy low and he's not really a buy low anymore because the numbers yeah, his OPS is almost around 800 now yeah, I think it's the last 15 games or so. He's batting over 300, so he's performing well. I just think, A, people haven't realized it, and B, he's older, so no one's really excited to trade for Charlie Blackman, but I, I still think he's a good trade candidate to try I mean, and acquire right now. Heck, what about DJ LeMayhew and a pitcher? I, I'm, you know, I'm, I have my concerns about DJ LeMayhew. I'm worried about LeMayhew. Get, me too, but if I could get DJ LeMayhew and Luis Castillo... That's a risky trade, but there's a lot more upside on your side of the trade if you're if you're making that. Yeah, I think I think a lot of people wouldn't do that. I think you could though. I think you could. And I don't. I don't you know if you're I in a position where you're like trailing. If you're in like tenth place in a roto league, that's probably a trade you should do. No, that's a good point. Yeah, and we probably don't talk about that enough. Is how you should make trades based on where you are in the standings, right? So, you know, if things are not working out the way that 
your team is currently constructed and you have players that are overperforming, you should be looking to move someone like a Kevin Gosman if he's on your team, which, I mean, if you have Gosman, the chances are your team's probably yeah. doing pretty good. But if you can flip him for two pieces, two, yeah. or, or even three pieces, you know. But especially, okay I, I think the key is the lower you are in the standings, the more risk you should be willing to take on because... Yeah, especially in a roto league, but even in a head-to-head points league. Look, if you're tenth place, it doesn't matter. Like if your team gets worse, it doesn't matter um, because you need things to drastically turn around. And so, what that means is that you can't necessarily stay with the status quo unless you've got, you know, let's say you have Manny Machado and Freddie Freeman and Cody Bellinger on your team. Then you could probably count on those guys turning it around. Yeah, and and helping you really make a run, but. You know, if you've got a team that just isn't that good and you don't have a lot of hope for turning it around, you should probably be trying to acquire big name players who are either injured or coming back from injury or haven't been good. Christian Yelich, I think, is a perfect example of this because, look, if Christian Yelich continues to hit the way he has, your team's going to continue to stink. But the cost of moving from 12th, from 10th to 12th, there's really no cost there. But if Christian Yelich starts playing like the Christian Yelich we know he can be, that can push you into contention. I just want to go back to Manny Machado real quick quick here because I don't really understand why he's struggling. When I look at all the underlying numbers, mm-hmm. I, I just don't see it. He's batting 235 now on the season. Another 0 for on Tuesday. He's currently 0 for 3. Uh, he's set to actually lead off the next inning. But he has a career-high average exit velocity, career-high hard hit rate, uh, his home run to fly ball ratio is the lowest that it's been since 2013, despite the seventh highest exit velocity on fly balls and line drives in baseball among qualified hitters. So when he's putting the ball in the air, he's hitting it very hard. I, I, if anyone is worried about Machado because they see the surface numbers, I would be trying to acquire him. I just don't really understand why his numbers yeah. have been as bad as they are. He's lost some line drives. You know, his bad ball profile looks a little more like 2019 than yeah. 2020. 2020, he kind of traded both line drive fly balls and ground balls for line drives. That's a good trade to make. Uh, he's gone the opposite direction so far this season, but I don't really, like you said, I don't really see any reason to think that there's been a, a significant change in his skill set where he won't be a very, very good hitter moving forward. All right, so we're trying to acquire Manny Machado. Should you try and acquire Aaron Nola? What is wrong with this fella? Can we try to fix him? Let's see. He was going up against the Braves on Tuesday, and he allowed seven hits, four runs, two more home runs, over five innings pitched. He did have seven strikeouts, so that was a positive, but he has a 5.06 ERA and a 1.19 whip across his first 13 starts of the season this year. The biggest differences that, that I can tell He has a career-low 41% ground ball rate. That number is 49.8% for his career. So that is a massive difference. I mean, you're talking nearly 9 percentage points difference in ground ball rate. As a result, he has a career-high 38% fly ball rate. He's got a 320 BABIP against. That is 293 for his career. So it's not egregious, but I think you can expect some... Uh, regression for him in that department. The four-seam fastball is getting hit pretty hard is something that I've noticed. And Aaron Nola kind of goes as his four-seam fastball goes. If you look at the fastball, basically every year that he has struggled, which is every odd year, basically, yeah. it's been that his his fastball allows a higher OPS or weighted runs created. I was looking at it earlier uh, than in even years. It's just like a random volatility thing with Aaron Nola, which I don't really understand why that happens but there is volatility with his four-seam fastball. And then the changeup. It's lost some of its luster this year. It has a 748 OPS against. That has been sub-600 each of the past two years. Those are things that I noticed with Aranola. However, his 3.36 expected ERA entering Tuesday was basically identical to last season. And is he going to be a low threes ERA pitcher that I expected coming into the season? I had him as my SP4. I was very excited about him. That probably isn't going to happen. Can he be a sub 3.5 ERA rest of the year? Yeah, I would take the under on that. With a 1.10 to 1.15 whip, 10K per nine. Yes, I think that's who Aaron Nola can be rest of the season. Chris, what have you seen from him? And let's do it. Worryometer Wednesday. Are you actually worried about Aaron Nola? 
Yeah, one thing I'm trying to look up is just to kind of see whether the whether the Phillies have had as a whole some issues defensively because one thing that really stands out and it's a relatively minor thing, but when we're talking about uh, this small, you know, two month sample sizes, relatively minor things can matter. And you know that Babbitt being high, the first thing you go and look for is well, is he giving up more line drives? He's not. He actually has a slightly lower line drive than he had did last season or in 2019. Uh, yes, he's getting fewer ground balls and he is giving up more fly balls, but more fly balls generally doesn't lead to a higher batting average allowed and certainly not a higher BABIP. Um, batting, you know, like I said earlier, fly balls tend to turn into outs and he's not really giving up home runs. 10.8% uh, home run to fly ball rate. He has a, actually has a 10.8 infield fly ball rate. So uh, one home run for every infield fly ball. Nothing wrong with that. One thing that does stand out is he's given up 10 infield hits. That's really high. He's given up four. Uh, he gave up four last season in basically the same amount of time. So that's something worth looking at. Uh, it makes me wonder if the Phillies defense has been bad, but it really hasn't rated out as particularly bad. Don't have a good answer, unfortunately. They <laughs> do have the eighth highest Babbitt, but it's 297 for the team versus three. What is after today's start? 322. So... Yeah, I mean, like you said, his bat fastball is getting hit harder, but I, I don't know if there's necessarily a great explanation for that. He's throwing it more, which isn't necessarily always a great thing. He's throwing his four-seam fastball more than uh, he did last season, about 14% more. He's traded a lot of sinkers for four-seamers. Maybe that's just not a, a particularly good change, but I don't see a lot that would indicate the fastball should be less efficient or, or less effective. I don't know. I'm kind of stumped. This is one that I just kind of think it's a little bit of bad luck, maybe. So what would your worryometer be on Aranola? One to ten. Three to four. I still think he'll be a 330 ERA guy moving forward. He, uh, the Phillies rather, are 28th in defensive run save. They are 18th in UZR. So I don't know which defensive metric okay. you prefer, Chris, but... At least by defensive run save, they are quite bad. And I think that makes sense because Andrew McCutcheon and Bryce Harper in your outfield is definitely not a recipe for defensive success. Yeah. Someone asked me on Tuesday night on Twitter, would I rather have Aaron Nola or Walker Bueller rest of the season? I thought it was a really good question because Walker Bueller just continues this weird season that we've talked about quite a bit, but he was at the Pirates on Tuesday. Seven shutout, two hits, only one walk, only two strikeouts. He did allow eight more hard hit balls the ERA is down to 2.56. That comes with a 3.73 XFIP for Walker Bueller. 8.4 K per nine represents a career low, but he's also had the best control of his career. So I kind of feel like he's purposely pitching the contact more. Maybe that's what has allowed him to go deeper into starts so far this season and be more efficient. But who would you rather have, Chris? Aaron Nola or Walker Bueller rest of the season? I would rather have Aaron Nola. I know the results haven't been there. Um, and, you know, Bueller's arguably been better on a per-inning per basis um, over the past three seasons. It's actually probably not that close. Um, but I just look at the underlying stats and, like, Walker Bueller has a, an expected ERA of 369 entering this start, and I can't imagine it got much better with a two-strikeout start where he gave up a bunch of hard contacts. So I'm inclined to say that Bueller has been fairly lucky. That that's not to say that there haven't been changes that he's made, you know, like you said, conscious changes, I think. But he has the highest expected Wobon contact allowed of his career and the lowest strikeout rate of his career. That's not a good combination. Um, and I have to think at some point that's going to catch up to him. If you're trading strikeouts for soft contact, by all means, that's a great trade-off. But in Bueller's case, I just don't think that's quite what he's doing. And so I have a hard time believing it's going to sustain uh, this level of effectiveness. I'm with you. I, I said I would rather have Aaron Nola over Walker Bueller. I do think it's very close. I think they're right in that yep. 10, 15, to, 16, 10 to 15. 14, 15. Yeah, 10 to 15 starting pitcher range uh, in terms of our rankings rest of season. But I will take Aaron Nola overall, not worried about him. And I know it's been frustrating if you have him on your team, a lot like. Not to the same extent, but Luis Castillo, it's what do they do from here forward? 
And I do think that Aaron Nola will be a sub 3.50 ERA rest of season. Before we hit the break, I just want to remind everybody to subscribe to our YouTube channel if you haven't already. Thank you to everyone who's watching us live right now. Of course, we are live very late, like we always are here on the East Coast. We are coming up on uh, 1 a.m. Eastern time. But if you'd like to watch this show live or any of our FP FPT and five videos, you could do that on the channel. Subscribe. It's youtube.com slash fantasy baseball today. Hit that subscribe button and hit the little notification bell. You will be notified every time we go live or a new video drops on the channel. We'll take a quick break, but when we return, we'll take a look at some of the elite players and what they did on Tuesday, some waiver wire options, and another double dong for Brandon Crawford. We'll talk about it next here on Fantasy Baseball Today. Worn by players like Michael Harris to meet the demand of elite ball players, the New Balance Fuel Cell 4040 V7 is a versatile option. The 4040 V7 is built for the athlete who needs responsiveness and ability to cut and run at their full speed. The model features a fuel cell foam underfoot and a synthetic and mesh upper to provide breathability, comfort, and a snug fit as you round the bases. The fuel cell midsole features nitrogen-infused foam specifically designed to propel athletes forward. Learn more about the 4040 at newbalance.com. Homes.com knows that when it comes to home shopping, it's never just about the house or condo. It's about the home. And what makes a home is more than just the house or property, it's the location and neighborhood. Homes.com offers in-depth neighborhood guides with detailed video overviews, comprehensive narratives, and unbiased information from a multitude of sources. You thought we go in-depth with player analysis on Fantasy Baseball today? You haven't seen anything yet. Each listing features comprehensive information about the neighborhood complete with a video guide. If you have kids, it's also schools, nearby parks, and transportation options. When looking at local schools, they offer test scores, state rankings, and student-to-teacher ratio. They even have an agent directory with the sales history of each agent. That's why Homes.com goes above and beyond to bring home shoppers the in-depth information they need to find the right home. So when it comes to finding a home, not just a house, this is everything you need to know, all in one place. Homes.com. We've done your homework. All right, so the elite, the, the elite, doing elite things. Ronald Acuna had three more hits, including his 18th home run of the season. He's hashtag good. Shohei Otani, his 17th home run of the year, a 470-foot shot off of Chris Bubich, lefty on lefty. The guy is just an absolute freak. and yeah, just ridiculous. Chris, remember yesterday when I told you that I started him as a pitcher this week rather than a hitter? Well, <laughs> I, I mean, look, he hasn't he hasn't pitched yet. He hasn't, but I already feel terrible. And th- this is part of that decision making process, which is so frustrating for me with Otani, because yesterday, th- mind you, this is in a 15 team Roto League where any offensive stats that you can get are obviously very valuable. It's in the NFBC main event, which is my most expensive yeah. league by far. He had a stolen base on Monday. He hits a home <laughs> run on Tuesday. I feel terrible. And I shouldn't because he still has a great pitching matchup going up against the Diamondbacks. I know that these were the rules coming into the season. That's on me, whatever. I've got to live with it. But again, moving forward, I don't care if it makes him more valuable than every other player in fantasy baseball. If he's this good as a pitcher and a hitter, we should be able to earn his stats for both throughout the course of a week, on the same day, whatever he's doing. I agree. Even if that makes him the number one drafted player in fantasy baseball, if he's that good, he deserves to be. I agree. My only counter to that, you can have that and that is fine. But if that is the case, there is no logical reason why every pitcher's hitting stats shouldn't count and the- why Williams Astudillo's home run given up to Jeremy Mercedes shouldn't count against your ERA. That's all I'll say. If we're going to count it, let's count it all. I, I am actually, I am in favor of that. If position players pitch, although that is... Goodbye NL pitchers. That is impossible to predict because it's really just based on blowouts when they don't want to tax their bullpen. But hopefully by next season, there will be a universal DH. So we won't have to worry about pitchers hitting and dragging down your batting stats anyway. Come on, let's just, let's make this happen for Shohei Otani. A couple of pitchers who were... Well, one of them was elite. The other one, not as much, but we'll talk about it. Tyler Glass now up against the Nationals. Seven innings, one run, 11 strikeouts to one walk. Ho-hum. Guy is amazing. 27 swinging strikes on 114 pitches for Tyler Glass now, who is cemented as a top 
10, bordering on a top five starting pitcher rest of season. He now has seven double-digit strikeout games this year with a 2.57 ERA and a 0.93 whip. Shohei, uh, not Shohei Otani. Every time I see SH now, I just want to say Shohei Otani. Shane Bieber, rather, at the Cardinals. Six innings, one run, two walks, five strikeouts. Not his best performance, Chris. 11 swinging strikes on 98 pitches. He still has 122 strikeouts across 85 innings pitched. Still allowing a lot of hard contact. I think he's just kind of going through something right now, and he's trying to figure it out. And all the while, he still has found a way to be very valuable. Yeah, it's something that I've noticed. He, um, I don't know, man. It's uh, it's been an interesting season for him, and I, I wanted. I wish I had found this story before the podcast because there's a story from Michael Hato at Pitcher List about Shane Bieber. It came out last week talking about the changes that he's made to his arsenal. Um, he specifically set out this offseason to work on his slider uh, to make it mirror the curveball better. Um, just give hitters, opposing hitters, one more thing to uh, try to figure out. And, um, you know, apparently he added more gyro spin to that pitch, which is, as we talked about yesterday, if you weren't listening, gyro spin would basically be uh, a football has like 100% gyro spin. All the spin is directly, it doesn't affect the movement of the pitch. It's basically the way to look at it. So um, he's getting more uh, gyro spin, so less spin efficiency with his slider, which is causing less movement with it. And he's ditched his cutter. And I, I think overall it's made him just a little less effective. He's throwing fewer fewer strikes. He's walking more. And um, I'm confident that he'll figure it out, though. You know, I haven't moved him down from number three. Uh, he's been number three pretty much all season. I think the only time he wasn't was when Jacob DeGrom was on the IL. I think he'll be fine moving forward. But like you said, he's definitely working on some stuff. He's a different pitcher than he was last season. I think right now he's a worse pitcher than he was last season. But that doesn't necessarily mean he won't be you know, very good moving forward. Not as good as he was last season, but I don't think that ever should have been the expectation. I, I think that's exactly right, is... He was awesome last year. He was basically historically good, and the expectation should have never been that he was going to live up to that. Kind of similar to like Juan Soto, how great he was last year from the hitting side of things. Some waiver wire options that we need to talk about. Justin Upton, we've talked about him quite a bit recently. He now has eight hits over his last six games, including four home runs, and he's basically let off for the Angels since the middle of May, and he has been awesome ever since. So the strikeout rate is still very high, Chris. What we'll do for each of these players is you tell me what format Justin Upton needs to be rostered in. He's already 63% rostered. Does he need to be added in three outfielder leagues, or is that still too shallow for him? Three outfielder category leagues, I think it's fine. Um, He's just not going to be particularly good in points. There's too much swing and miss in his game, and you're really only going to have... You're only going to get a lot from him in those stretches where he's really hitting for power, which, you know, as we know with Justin Upton, things tend to come in waves for him. He's one of the streakier hitters in baseball, at least anecdotally. I don't actually have any numbers to prove that, but I think if you ask most people who the most the streakiest player in the game, the ones who think of Justin Upton will say Justin Upton. I would drop, I'm looking at two outfielders that are rostered in more leagues than he is. I would drop Jorge Soler and David Peralta for Justin Upton. Totally fine with both of those, yeah. Ahmed Rosario is someone that we've tried to tell you about, and he's been great since the start of May. 303 batting average, two homers, five steals. He had three more hits on Tuesday. He's 30% rostered. Chris, where, if anywhere, should you be adding Ahmed Rosario? So he is 30% rostered, so that probably means... Any Roto League deeper than 12 teams, he's already rostered and probably a decent amount of those 12 teams. I'm not going to say every single 12-team Roto League. Um, I would say that if he ran more and he's kind of had some stretches where he's run more, but only five stolen bases over the course of the season. You'd like to see that be higher. But I think he's going to be a decent source of batting average moving forward. And he is shortstop and outfield. Is he also second base eligible? He is only shortstop and outfield on shortstop CBS. and outfield. That's still pretty useful though. Yep. Um, I am starting Mohamed Rosario in more than one uh, league as an outfielder. So 
I mean, I actually, I looked this up yesterday of the 20 of the top 24 outfielders in Roto finish last season. So not necessarily where they were drafted, but just where they finished last season. Nine of them are currently on the IL, which just, I feel like a pretty good example of, you know, we, we've talked about how many injuries there have been and that it's true. Outfield has been hit especially hard with injuries and it's been hit especially hard with poor performances. And we had what? Joey Gallo go on the IL today and there's probably someone else. Um, so yeah, I, I think Ahmed Rosario is a useful 12 team Roto outfielder. I, I will say you said select 12 team Roto. I will say, all. Oh, I think them. at this point, most 12 team Roto leagues. Yeah. 12. If you have a middle infielder and more than three outfielders on yeah. your fantasy team, then I think Ahmed Rosario needs to be rostered in your league. And those five seals that he has, Chris, have all come since the start of May when basically he's become a full-time player. He's betting second in Cleveland's lineup. It's not a great lineup, but a lot of runs scored to be had there hitting ahead of Jose Ramirez. And with those five um, stolen bases, zero caught stealing. So normally he's inefficient on the base paths. That hasn't been the case so far. So He's super fast. I mean, he's 98th percentile in sprint speed right now. I'm pretty optimistic about Ahmed Rosario. Uh, how about Patrick Wisdom? The guy just continues to mash. He hit his eighth home run on Tuesday. He's batting 385 now. He's not going to keep that up. He's 52% rostered, so he's already been added in a ton of places, Chris. Where does he need to be added? It's hard for me to argue he needs to be added in more places, but he's so hot right now that it's probably worth doing um, just in case. He's got seven home runs and one, two, three, four, five six non-home run hits. So um, <laughs> that's pretty impressive. He's got an 81% hard hit rate. Also impressive. 99% average exit velocity. 99% mile per hour average exit velocity. Also very impressive. 38% strikeout rate. Yeah. that That's, I, I think, the probably going to be the defining feature for him moving forward is just too many strikeouts. But the home run he hit today, um, it was like... He hit it 110 miles an hour. It was on the outside half of the plate, and he pulled it like 405 feet. That is, that's an incredibly strong man. That's an incredibly strong man who was apparently sitting on whatever pitch. I think it was a fastball, but no, that was a changeup. Changeup? Okay, yeah, that, that just maybe he was sitting in. fastball then. He got out ahead of it, but uh, he's very strong. He's got legitimate power. I just, you know, sometimes it turns into Dolis Garcia, and you can you know, kind of live with the the bad plate discipline. My assumption is that it'll, it'll end up costing him, but, you know, right now, if he's out there, sure, go at him. It's actually first base and third base eligibility that Wisdom has over on CBS, and I become more wary of these mid-career breakouts that, I mean, we've basically seen a ton of them with the Dodgers, with Max Muncy and Chris Taylor. I'm not saying he's going to be that good, obviously, but even like a Luke Voigt with the New York Yankees, we've seen more of these guys break out the past couple of seasons. So, uh, wisdom, if you do need power, someone that you can look at. Last one I wanted to bring up here, Chris, Miguel Andujar, he had two more hits. He's batting 269 with three home runs over his last 15 games for the Yankees. And we know what his upside could be. We saw it back in, I think it was like 2018 when... He was a candidate to win Rookie of the Year. Did he win Rookie of the Year that year? No, he finished second to Shohei Otani, as he second should have. Sh- yeah, rightfully so. Do not at me, Yankees fans. <laughs> uh, 21% rostered is Andujar. I think if you're desperate in a five-outfielder league, you can do it there. Anything shallower, I-, I don't think you need to do it yet. Is he only outfield eligible right now? Yes. Okay. I, I find it pretty hard to to get excited about him, uh, especially now that he's you know striking out quite a bit, twenty six percent. It's very small sample size, only eighty seven plate appearances. But yeah, I'm not particularly excited about him. Okay, in deeper leagues, JP Crawford went. Uh, he had at least three hits. He's batting three fifty two with two home runs and one steal over his last fifteen games for the Mariners. He's twenty one percent rostered. And Bruce Zimmerman with the Baltimore Orioles is only 5% rostered up against the Mets on Tuesday. Five innings, two runs, seven strikeouts. He now has a 2.98 ERA over his last three starts. And he had 13 swinging strikes in this one. He had 19 swinging uh, strikes in his last start. Again, Bruce Zimmerman is the name here. It looks like he is in line for two starts next week versus Toronto, which is a very tough start in Camden Yards. And then at Cleveland, so... One good, one bad. Deeper leagues, sure, on Bruce Zimmerman, but 
Uh, anything shallower than like a 15, a 14 team league, probably not yet, but a name to remember. Catchers, Eric Haas. We have a lot of awesome catchers randomly uh, recently here. Eric Haas, eight hits for the Tigers over his last six games, including six home runs. He is 27% rostered. Max Stassi, eight hits, including three homers over his last five games. And he was very good in 2020. Serious power stroke with mm-hmm. the Angels. It looks like that is starting to carry over now that he's healthy. He's 15% rostered. And William Contreras, brother of Wilson Contreras, went three for four with his sixth home run on Tuesday. He's batting just 241, but that comes with an 846 OPS. He's 40% rostered. So, Chris, rank Eric Haas, Max Dassey, and William Contreras. And would you drop Gary Sanchez for any of them? All right, so I would go Contreras, Stassi, and Haas. Um, I think there's a you know small gap between Contreras and Stassi, pretty close. Stassi. Uh, and Haas is probably a, a decent ways behind the two of them. Um, I don't know if I would have the guts to drop Gary Sanchez for any of them because I think they're all, you know, Stassi and, and Contreras are kind of similar players to Gary Sanchez. You're hoping for power. You're hoping for, you know, a respectable enough batting average that they're not killing you. And Gary Sanchez obviously has more upside, but if you're desperate right now, I I don't think it's necessarily crazy to drop Sanchez for Contreras. Yeah. I think I might put Stassi first of that group. I I like what he's done the past two seasons, but he has dealt with a lot of injuries himself. So keep that in mind with Max Stassi. And it's worth noting for Gary Sanchez, he went two for five with his seventh home run his last 15 games. He's batting 271 with two home runs. Obviously, I watch a lot of Yankees games. You know that by now. He strikes out a lot, but when he does not strike out, Gary Sanchez still makes a lot of hard contact. So in a one-catcher league, if you want to drop him to stream a hot catcher, like I don't know that anyone's going to run out to add Gary Sanchez. So especially in a points league, if you want to make a swap, I don't have a problem with it at this point. I, I told someone that they could drop him for Omar Nervaez on Tuesday. So Yeah, I think that's okay. Yeah, I'm cool with that one. Some double dongs on Tuesday. Brandon Crawford, he is now up to 14 home runs, 41 RBI. He's batting 269 with a 938 OPS on June 8th. Of all the crazy things that can happen in a baseball season, yeah, I think Brandon Crawford with a 938 OPS on June 8th is up there with one of the more wild things that have happened this season. And he's making very hard contact. Both his barrel rate and expected slug are in the 91st percentile or better. His 96 mile per hour exit velocity on fly balls and line drives is tied for 24th in baseball. I don't know how long he's going to keep this up, Chris, but as long as he is making this level of contact, I think he's going to be a pretty good power source at the least. Yeah, and it may not be a fluke. There's a very good piece in Fangraphs that came out on Monday from Luke Cooper. Um, It's called How Brandon Crawford's New Swing Turned Things Around. And, you know, you can see very obviously when you look at the clips in here, his stance is way more open right now. And he's changed his his, uh, setup a little bit so that there's less movement in his hands and with the bat before he swings. And, you know, these are not necessarily subtle changes, but they're relatively small changes in the grand scheme of things, but they seem to be playing a, you know, paying big dividends for him. And he is, sorry, looking up some plate discipline numbers. He's swinging at pitches outside of the zone at a lower rate than any point in his career since 2014. Uh, He's swinging at pitches inside of the zone at the same rate, which is pretty much what you want to see. You want to see, fewer bad swings or swings of bad pitches and you know the same or more swings at good pitches you don't want to see passivity you want to see selectiveness and that seems to be what we're seeing from Brandon Crawford so i've been pretty skeptical i've been pretty dismissive of what he's done so far but you know there may not be this may not be entirely a fluke i don't think he's going to continue to rank 11th in barrel rate which is where he was before hitting two home runs today um Brandon Crawford is definitely better than I gave him credit for, is what I will say here. And if you can sell high on him, I guess you can try. I just don't see anyone that's going to be excited to trade for Brandon Crawford. Uh, It's kind of similar to what we've said about Yuli Gurriel, where 
it's a veteran. He's been really good. You can try, but I don't I don't really think anyone's going to give anything of value up for Brandon Crawford. The other one, the other double dong was Pete Alonzo, who is now up to nine home runs. He's batting 255 with an 814 OPS on the season. Bit of a letdown so far, but he's dealt with some injuries and hopefully a sign of things to come for Pete Alonzo. The call to the pen. It was a very quiet day in terms of bullpen updates on Tuesday. Which is fine by me, actually. For Tampa Bay, yeah. uh, JP Fireisen was used to start the eighth inning in a three to one game. He was facing nine, one, and two in the lineup. He walked three of the four batters that he faced. He was removed from the game. Diego Castillo pitched in the ninth. He picked up his tenth save of the season. Diego Castillo now has the last two saves for the Rays. And I am officially making this comparison, Chris. Kevin Cash and Bill Belichick are Spider Man meme. Every time you think you have the Rays reliever situation figured out, Kevin Cash changes it. It's very similar to how every time you think you know the Patriots running back situation with Belichick, he changes it up. So that's where I'm at with Kevin Cash. I think if you play in a categories league, you should, both Diego Castillo and J.P. Fireisen should be rostered, but it's going to be frustrating. I made Rays fans on Twitter mad at me earlier today somehow by saying that the Dodgers are the best team in baseball. I didn't really think that would be a uh, hot take. I'm going to go ahead and poke the bear again here and just say that Bill Belichick's had a little more success in big games. Oh, for sure. Yeah, no, I was just not quite as many big game screw ups. I I was just comparing uh, bullpen usage to to running back. I was just being a jerk. No, but you you're you're definitely right about that. Um, Kevin Cash has not showed up in the biggest games, but not well, arguably showed up a little too early. (laughs) <laughs> in the most recent big game. But um, for the Tigers, Jose Cisnero now has the last two saves for the Tigers with Michael Fulmer on the IL. He is 2% rostered. This is only the deepest yeah. of leagues if you are super desperate for saves. But it sounds like Fulmer is going to be back after a short stint on the IL. Kenley Jansen picked up his 13th save. Lou Trevino got his ninth for the Oakland A's. To stream or not to stream for Wednesday, Brad Keller at the Angels. Griffin Canning versus the Royals. Vladimir Gutierrez versus the Brewers, Austin Gomber at the Marlins, Shane McClanahan versus the Nationals, and Chris Flexen at the Tigers. Well, last night or tonight's didn't go super well. I think I, uh, <clears throat> I think I went with Marco Gonzalez, who gave up four runs and four and a third tonight. So, hopefully tomorrow's better. And I'm going to say Gomber, McClanahan, and Canning are the best streamers for Wednesday night. I. Like it. Canning has been so inconsistent, but so has the Royals yeah. lineup. Uh, I think Gomber and McClanahan are, are actually very good streamers. Yes, I would agree with that. And for Thursday, this is a very bad list. And yeah, I, good. I've only included five names on here because there's a few TBDs. So Justice Sheffield at the Tigers, Mike Miner at the Oakland A's, Chichi Gonzalez at the Marlins, Jay Hat versus the Yankees, and Anthony DeScalfani at the Nationals, who... I don't think actually qualifies as a streamer because he's rostered in too many leagues, but I threw him in here anyway because that's how bad the list is. Yeah, Discafani is pretty good. I think you you would want to start him um, against maybe not most matchups, but enough. Um, I'll say Mike Miner. Braxton Garrett is Wednesday, right, for the Marlins? That's what you said earlier? Yes. Then um, Miner and Discafani, and no number three. If you if you're desperate, I would probably go with Justice Sheffield. Though yeah, I, Sheffield I think is certainly the most talented pitcher of the of the three remaining, and um, you know Detroit's a good enough matchup that he could be good. All right, it's been a while since we fired up the fantasy justice, but let's help help some people out here, Chris. Ooh. Yeah, yeah. I can only do no. Fan- I'm only going to do fantasy justice when you are on the podcast, Chris. This one's from Jordan. What is your opinion on this situation that happened in my league today? Apologies. Some of these are pretty old, admittedly. It's I haven't had enough time to get to them. Sorry. Uh, I am in a league where our lineup locks daily at the start of the game instead of weekly. I picked up Griffin Canning last night to be a spot starter, and three hours before the start of his game, went to add him to my lineup. 
I was not able to put him in my lineup because of the double header starting in the afternoon and he was locked on my bench. I asked my league if it would be fair for the commissioners to put him into my lineup because the game has not started. I got a resounding no from every person in the league. I'm not fighting the decision because a vote is a vote, but I feel like this is not an unfair request. What do you think? So a double header for the Angels. Griffin Canning was scheduled to start the second game. He locked in the lineup because the Angels started earlier than this person realized. The first game did, at least. I don't really have a problem with putting him in the lineup. If he was scheduled to pitch all along for the second game, and you knew that he started at, let's say, 7 p.m. Eastern time, and there was a doubleheader that started at 4 p.m. Eastern time, whatever it is, I feel like you should be able to get Griffin Canning in your lineup. I don't think it's an unreasonable request. I also don't think it's unreasonable for people in the league to say no. Oh, come on, this Chris. Is the kind of thing you, you where can't, you can't you ride are... both sides of the fence. We need an answer. We need justice. Yeah, my answer is if you are doing something that is outside of the bounds of the traditional rule set, you need unanimity from the league in order to approve it. And if, if you know, in this case, there is unanimity in favor of not allowing the move to go through. So I think it's fairly straightforward that you don't let the move go through. It's not un- unreasonable to ask, but they said no. Boo, boo. Boo! I am against it. You should be able to use that pitcher in the second game of a doubleheader, even if it locks. So take that, Chris. This one's from Cole. Hopefully not Garrett. We'll, we'll see if there's any any typos no, the, in the email. Yeah, this, he gets this one through. <laughs> uh, my league is a head-to-head points keeper league. I have been catching a lot of heat for trading with another team who is currently 0-8 in this league. Made a trade earlier that was accepted by that 0-8 team back at the start of May. It was me getting Clayton Kershaw for Steven Matz and Nelson Cruz, which, that's I mean, sad. at the beginning of May, that's I guess that wasn't a terrible trade. Uh, yes, a bit in favor of me, but hey, he accepted it and felt as though it was fair enough to do it. The majority felt it was unfair, and I was exploiting another team by taking advantage of his, quote, baseball knowledge, which, hey, it's all fair game in my mind because he joined the league and paid to get in. Everyone else had the same opportunity to trade with him and see who they can get in return. So yes, overall, now I am being referred to as the Houston Astros of the league. How do you guys feel about this situation? Oh man, We had an email like this a couple weeks ago, I think, where someone did this, but it was to like a, like a, a middle school or early high school aged person uh, who was playing fantasy baseball for the first time. And that's a jerk move. You shouldn't do that thing. Yeah, I think it was like someone's daughter that was yeah. in a league or something like but that. But if this is a, a an adult, you know, who is able to make decisions of their own wherewithal, like I'm sure this guy has access to lots of resources, presumably the internet to start with, but also maybe a newspaper, you know, maybe the sporting news. And like at some point, if you're in a league and you're paying money for it, you're on your own. Um, I, I could see at the time of a trade, if the the manager, you know, gets a bunch of feedback and realizes like, oh man, I made a crappy trade. I didn't realize it, and you know, maybe you can turn it back. But if he didn't do that, then I think you're fine. Uh, I, and it's another one where the league has to, if the league wants to do that and you're willing, you know, it's it's your decision. But that didn't happen here, so now you shouldn't feel bad. You're it, it's a bit of a it's a bit of a jerk move, but <laughs> you know, check still clears, right? I would feed into it, Chris. I would be spiteful to the league. I would every time I win a matchup, I would take banging a, on trash cans. Exactly. Yeah, I would take yeah. videos of me like banging on trash cans and stuff, being raucous and and loud and spiteful. Get a <laughs> every time I won. Tape a, tape a buzzer to your chest. <laughs> And have it go off every time your team hits a home run. Yeah, like have someone record you maybe like running around your block and crossing home plate, I guess would be whatever, the front of your house <laughs> or something. And you're like, no, don't rip my jersey off. Don't rip my jersey off. And just feed into it, man. Be the Houston Astros. And hopefully go on to win your league the way that the Houston Astros have won as well. We're going to wrap there. For Chris, I am Frank. Thank you. Oh, wait, no, I didn't play it again. Justice has been served. Chris, uh, I, I was trying to think of another one. And then for some reason, I was trying to think of like another uh, Metallica thing. And then for some reason, like I stand alone by Godsmack came in my head. And that's not the same thing. And I didn't want to do it. And so I just kind of froze. I had a Garrett Cole moment there. 
All right. I think that's a great way to end the podcast. For Chris, I am Frank. Thank you all for listening and watching Fantasy Baseball today. Scott will be back tomorrow. Bye-bye. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.